Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dave Gurney. I'm here with... Joe Hilliard. Happy All All Horror October. Happy All Horror October to you. And to you guys out there. We're excited because we're doing something that um, it's, it's new for us. We've had guests on the show before, but sure. I mean, this this is perfect because in all horror October, as you and I are analyzing all the horror films we've done and the ones we'd like to do and making sure we get a varied level of different kinds of movies, uh-huh. it struck me that we have only done, and I might use these terms incorrectly, cryptids. Uh, I'm going to have a guest soon tell you what that means, David. Twice, The Shape of Water and Godzilla. Now, I may even be using this incorrectly. So what we've done for the the episode today, as we discuss two cryptid-based horror films, is bring on guests from their podcast, 50 States of Terror. It is Kaylee and Anthony Diaz. Hey. (laughs) That was... so much <laughs> guys welcome to our to, to beer in a movie we're so happy that you're here we weren't able to get into the room together so we're doing this a little remotely um i have so many questions for you david i'm sure you do too let's get some beers open though david i think you brought one that is completely apropos yeah so uh we, we were talking about as joe said um do, doing a couple cryptid films this episode because we were going to have kaylee and anthony come join us this kind of you know podcast collab mm-hmm. that we're doing um and one of the films that came up in our conversations with them was going to be, well, I'll just spill the beans. The first film that we're going to talk about, Creature from the Black Lagoon, right. um, a classic universal monster movie uh, from the 1950s. And we just so happened to have a beer brought to us by a listener and former guest, Emily Suggs. Yeah. Um, all the way from the great state of California. This is our first time with this brewery. They are called Coronado Brewing Company. Uh, they are out of, did you see where in Coronado, California? Makes sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the beer, the name is a perfect tie in here because it is called Leisure Lagoon. And it oh, is nice. A, a hazy pale ale. So we're going to get this in our glasses. But I know uh, before we started recording, Kaylee and Anthony, it sounds like you have something you're going to be drinking on your ends. Yes, we do have a, a couple different brews over here. But Anthony, why don't you go ahead? Because you are, of the two of us, you are the beer bro of the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I do enjoy a, a freshly opened glass, well, a bottle of beer. But uh, yeah, um, I, I kind of went uh, local and... I, I wanted to to just because I haven't tried it yet, and we have a an Oasis Brewery here in uh, in our lovely city of Corpus Christi, and uh, I haven't tried it. And this is October. I want to get into the the European German feel of of what of what Oktoberfest in Ger- Germany has brought beer for us. So I have a Hefenweizen from nice. Oasis uh, uh, Brewery, and I haven't tried it yet. I'm gonna have my first sip. While Kaylee does her beer, and then I'm gonna be like, "Oh, so good!" <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I have with me uh, a saloon door brewing mm. beer. Uh, it is called Ridiculous AF, and it yeah. may not be quite as on point with you know like the lagoon theme, 
but um, just some of the things that we're going to talk about today are ridiculous AF, and so I thought it would be appropriate. Um, and it is, uh, what is it? It is, I want to use all those fancy words. I know you guys are a big fan of the fancy uh, beer terms. Yeah, we, so twirl, is, we twirl our mustaches, no doubt. I, I twirl mine. <laughs> I, I started waxing it off, but I mean, when it's, when it's in its glory, it's there. Uh, so this is a Russian Imperial Stout uh, version of their Tasty AF Chocolate Peanut Butter Milk Stout. Mm. So... I and had my first sip. It's pretty good. And we enjoyed that back in episode 61. Yeah. Oh, so, so oh nice. We, awesome. we have definitely enjoyed, and that very beer we, so, we've enjoyed. So it, it has the BAM seal of approval yeah. uh, already, what's in your glass. <laughs> okay, so yeah. if, go ahead. No, mine, mine doesn't tie into anything. It's just, it's just a Heffernweiser, and I'm like, yes, beer. Yeah, we do, we do our best with the tie-ins. Every once in a while, we come up aces like with this uh, Leisure Lagoon, Creature from the Black Lagoon. 50 States of Terror. Tell us a yes. little bit about what you guys are up to on your show. Well, right now we're coming back. We took a little bit of a break. I don't think we really structured in taking breaks because once we got going, it was just really go, 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 go. We went from you know, oh, we'll put out an episode here or there. And then it really did become kind of addicting. We started getting feedback and uh, we actually met you through a mutual friend of our pods. Mm -hmm. uh, and we saw you guys were on the the top five of the bend, uh, right, best yes. of the best. And we were like, oh, we have to meet these people. And just seeing like that kind of quick escalation just had us going and going and going. So we're always coming back the, from a break. Top five, yes. Always the bridesmaids, never the bride. <laughs> you know, it was, um, we, we got nominated. We'd been podcasting for six months, I want to yeah, say. Six, when, yeah, six months, yeah. When the first list came out and we were like, oh, oh, this is actually something that's happening. Yeah. And um, so we did, we did just take a break, but we're coming back. We've got some guests lined up that we're really excited for. Uh, if you guys would like to join us sometime, we'd be happy to have you. We can love to, love to. Maybe talk about movies. What? Why I think you got on that top five list so quickly is because it is a solid concept. Fifty States of Terror. Mm -hmm. You guys are exploring cryptids, and and, yes. and and please, is are Godzilla and Shape of Water the monster? They're cryptids uh, to tie that loose end up because I've got questions about it. How does it work? I guess you pick a state, and then mm -hmm. every every state has its own. Sasquatch legend or something similar and y'all kind of dive into that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, so we we take a, like you said, we take each state and then we pick the either the most like obscure one that probably nobody has ever heard of or we, or we take <laughs> one that is very well known and we do a deep dive on it. We do the history, <clears throat> excuse me, we do the lore, we do um, how it factored in with the social economic times of when uh, it was uh, popular. Um, what were the effects? Um, and, and then I'm, well, okay. So I am a, <laughs> a believer of, of many things that are out there. And Kaylee is 100% not <laughs> she is a, a she's a skeptic, skeptic. A skeptic. <clears throat> i i like to say that i don't believe in anything some days i don't even believe in myself that is why i have anthony he is my true believer at all times i am 100 his certified skeptic um i think we see that a lot that dichotomy in our lives as well like we are very opposite like sometimes if you were to put us on paper we would not work there's just something that that meshes between the two of us you know, those opposites attract and, and we balance each other out. 
And so we decided to take that into podcasting. And yeah. that's how we got 50 States of Terror. Yeah, because she was already doing a show and I and I wrote a book uh, about cryptids and it's a it's a fantasy uh, cryptid um, novel. And we wanted to do something together. And then we do like, hey, let's just do monsters and cryptid stuff. And, and then eventually it might like spin off into like paranormal or or what have you. But sure. right now we're, we're, we're chilling on, on cryptids. As I understand it, a cryptid is a, a an animal or beast. And, and you help me out with the words because I know I'm not going to get them correct. That is thought to potentially exist, but has never been scientifically documented. Essentially, so, that's really, that's right on board. So a cryptid yeah. is something that can neither be confirmed nor denied to exist. So um, when people are like, oh, I saw Bigfoot. I know we're going to talk about Bigfoot here in a little bit. So that's, and that's usually the first one people think of. Bigfoot, right. Loch Ness Monster, Mothman. Right. Right. Um, no, I can't prove to you that you didn't see this six to eight or whatever version <laughs> foot tall creature. I can't prove that you didn't see it, but you also can't give me evidence. Right. So it's it's very much that that catch twenty two where it's like well we can't prove it's there but we can't prove it's not there yeah so it no I'm sorry go, please wait so it goes into this this subcategory so kind of like this this pseudoscience is para and it's saying hey this might be real but it might not be and it goes into cryptozoology which if you're interested in a little bit more of the forefathers we actually recently covered that on our Minnesota Iceman episode talk a little bit about the beginners, like the people who coined the term and really how it came over to America. We talk about those terms a little bit more, but essentially you hit it like nail on the head. So is Godzilla a cryptid or is that a, a just a fictional character that happens to be? <laughs> Do kaiju in general count as cryptids? There you go. Like Mothra or- uh... I would, and Anthony, do you have any strong feelings about this? Okay, so my personal opinion on this is when you have when you have something that is being uh, that's not brought through lore, uh, like okay, so a perfect example would be like um, uh, uh, the Kraken. Okay, so the the, the Kraken, a giant octopus. Uh, we do know that there are large octopuses in in the uh, well octopi. What's the plural of octopus? Octopi. Octopi. <laughs> So we do know that they they do exist, but the the lore is giant, you know, sea creatures that that crumble on onto ships. Something like Godzilla, that's a a, a fictional thing that's been made up for okay. for storytelling. So to me, Godzilla does not fit into the realm of, of cryptids. However, something like Mothra, a giant moth, would kind of almost fit into it because we do know that. In the pre uh, 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 Jurassic periods and, and things like that, there have been giant versions of things like Tatanaboa yeah. is a giant snake, and we okay. know that to be to be to have existed. Right, right, right. So that so that's, that fits in that realm. I, I get I the like... distinction. I get the distinction you're making that this has to be something that people have claimed to have actually seen or interacted with or somehow observed not something that was like Godzilla we know was made up for a fictional story for, yes. for a movie. Right. Yeah. That, that aligns a little bit more with what I believe. I think what really takes a cryptid to be a cryptid, of course, it has to be semi-animalistic. It can be like a hominid. It can be, it can look a lot like a person. Mm -hmm. I think belief is really the key there. Do people actually believe that they saw it? 
Or is this, you know, something that nobody believes that Godzilla was really coming out of the water or, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not really as versed with Godzilla as my four-year-old is, who is currently obsessed with Mechagodzilla. Which is but awesome, by the way. That is it's, pretty awesome. It's, it's a whole thing at the moment. Um, but I think if someone were to come forward and say that they truly believed in Godzilla, that they thought that they saw Godzilla that then crosses into the territory of what is a cryptid. It is a monster I can't prove to you. It doesn't exist. That is correct. So having that active uh, back and forth discussion, yeah. I think that is what would really take it into but that we, realm. But we do know that some cryptids that were classified as cryptids have been proven to exist. Oh, can okay. you think of a, what's the example that I might know? Oh, the perfect example is the Komodo dragon. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So uh, in 19- Godzilla, Godzilla's nephew, if I <laughs> my lore is the, the Scrappy Doo to Godzilla's Scooby Doo. Sure, but, yeah. <laughs> but if but if you're talking in the Scooby Doo universe, a lot of fans just turned you off when you mentioned Scrappy Doo. <laughs> you're right. I think bastardized, we lost a lot of horrible yeah. creation by Hanna Barbera. Yeah, Scrappy Doo is probably like the 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 C list characters of, of oh all. Oh my gosh, the you guys! I loved Scrappy when I was a kid, but I was also kind of wait. Our our language are we PG? No, you can you can let your free okay. flag fly. I oh, mean, yeah. I just wanted to be sure because I I know I am I am an f bomb mom one hundred percent. I was kind of an asshole of a kid, and I was like that little. I was the only girl in the group for most of my existence, so I kind of had to be. You kind of have to like compensate a little bit. It's like, I guess like a Napoleon complex, but for being a female. And so whenever I saw Scrappy, I really identified. I was like, you kind of have to be a jerk sometimes. You gotta, you gotta hold your own and like, yeah, Scooby's can't, great, but I've got some good, go ahead. I was just like, Kaylee, I'm just getting to know you, but clearly you do have puppy power. Um, I do have puppy power. <laughs> now, if only I were dainty and adorable. <laughs> oh my anthony God. this is your time to shine okay so <laughs> we started all horror october two octobers ago this is our third year mm-hmm. and the very first film on the very first week of october 2020 was frankenstein 1931 oh nice we, okay. we, want, we wanted to demonstrate that we are going to do a varied amount of of horror not just the the new releases um now of course, back then we talked about how it was the second of the universal classic monster films. The first, of course, being Dracula. Mm-hmm. And the, the one-two punch in 1931 of Dracula and Frankenstein created not a fran- I guess a franchise, although these characters really only began to meet one another in the 40s when popularity was waning right. and they brought in the Abbott and Costello meet series. Sure, and yeah. Now, now you're beginning to see the Wolfman hanging out <laughs> with the, you know. So if you look at the Mount Rushmore of those um, universal monsters, th- this is who I'm going to put on there, the ones that are the most well-known. It's the ones that appear in Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. Dracula, Frank- <laughs> Frankenstein's monster, mm-hmm. the mummy, the wolfman, and then the last one to the party, 1950, help me, four, right? Yep. The film that we're, The film that we're going to discuss today, uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Hell yeah. Now, is this a cryptid? I mean, back to our conversation about Godzilla being more of a fictional character. Yes. I will definitely classify the creature of the Black Lagoon as a cryptid because it falls under the, the realm of mermen in a, and aquatic creatures mm-hmm. because it makes possible well it doesn't make possible sense but it makes 
it makes a um it makes the definition true and of course like this is not one of those things to where it's been made up for for film because it falls under the realm of mermaids right so so mermaids in general are cryptids now i know that Kay- i know that kaylee and anthony there's been a little bit of debate about this topic yeah oh yeah 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 uh yeah we uh well she has she now has a different uh point of view on to mermaids and then now that she's back she's gonna she's gonna chime right in on this on this on this hot topic of listen i just heard mermaids (laughs) 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 all right i've got the uh the bad dog is put away the good dog the goodest of boys he can stay out and lay on the couch um (laughs) mermaids are we asking if they're cryptids or not yes Okay, initially, I did not think that mermaids were cryptids. If you check out our first episode, I have some very strong opinions that mermaids are half human, so no, they don't count. And then I covered mermaids for one of our episodes, and the more I got into it, and the more I really started researching into what is a hominid, what is, um, and I may be pronouncing some of the words wrong. Guys, I barely graduated high school. I'm just doing good to have an, like a conversation some days. You sound but, learned to me. Oh, well, thank you, sir. I'll take that from you guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the more I started researching into what does it take to be a cryptid, how much of it has to be not human, there are different versions of mermaids. So when we start talking about When we start talking about Greek origins, yeah, they may literally be more half fish, half human, Mm -hmm. but we are going to discuss a little bit later because I have some notes for you about some Filipino stories. And those are technically mermaids too, but they have webbed hands, they have duck feet, they have scales all over their body. There are different versions of mermaids. And we definitely, I'm not going to say we over-sexualize all female figures in pop culture history. But we know that it tends to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're just so, we're just so damn pretty. Um, But it happens a lot. And the version of the mermaid that we know today, first of all, is actually more of a siren, but that's okay. That's a different episode. And um, no, I think cryptids can, or I think mermaids can officially be called cryptids. Doesn't make me happy, but I will say it. Um, (laughs) Also, I think that aliens can technically go into the cryptid territory. Uh, but I think it also goes back to that root of, do you believe you saw it? Can I yeah. prove that you didn't see it? Is it a biological, is it an animal? Is yeah. it, you know, is it something? And mm. there's definitely a lot of debate in the community, but well, I did I'm... cover aliens at one point. So I have to say it's a cryptid <laughs> now. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the fascinating things about this film in particular, Creature from the Black Lagoon, is that, you know, the story arose from a conversation that went on with a cinematographer telling uh, the story of this sort of mythical race of half fish, half human. So it's truly based in a cryptid scenario, right? Where you have somebody saying like, no, there are these things that exist out there. You don't understand. And then somebody, you know, in this case, uh, the producer, William Allen, kind of running with that and saying like, okay, let's let's think about what Mm -hmm. a story that would take that as its premise would turn Mm -hmm. into. Yeah, the, the film was produced by William Allen. It was directed by Jack Arnold, who had had a huge hit the year before with It Came From Outer Space, mm-hmm. which was Universal's first 3D movie. 
Mm-hmm. This is at the end of the 3D. Which was like a very brief craze sure. in the 50s. And it was yes. already on the decline. Right. Uh, yeah, from like 1951 to 54, I think. Right. Yeah. Right. Something and like that. A, yeah. And with Black Lagoon coming out in 1954, <clears throat> the marketing was all about it not only being in 3D, but it being the first underwater 3D film. Special housings and rigs were made to keep, because they shoot with two cameras back then, mm-hmm. polarized, black and white, polarized differently and then you're wearing the glasses that are very similar to the ones we wear today not the red lens blue lens but the there's a polarization that interacts with the the film being projected Mm -hmm. um so uh, the film it couldn't be more simple it's a group of scientists uh one of them finds a fossilized hand of what we will learn to be the gill man or the creature from the black lagoon he he is in the amazon he takes it to the, um, I thought this name of this place was so funny, the uh, Institute of, the Maritime Institute of the Amazon or something like that. Yeah. That they, then then they bring up a group of scientists who go back to the area and they encounter a living gill man. They encounter him, first of all, because he likes to reach his hand up and show it to the camera and then, <laughs> and then, and then. That's all you see is the hand. It's, it's, um, that, it's that classic 50s, like, I'm going to get you. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt, it's, it's the building of suspense. We're not, it's like Jaws. We're not going to show you the whole thing. We're going to show you just a little portion of it. In this case, it's a hand that kind of <laughs> creeps out near a foot, and then the person walks off into the hand and quickly goes back. But this um, creature begins uh, killing people, but I, in my opinion, it's out of self-defense. The the first two guys. I the... absolutely agree. Oh, right. yeah. 100%. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I, I definitely, first of all, on the claw thing, I think he's just looking for his glasses. Because if you've ever seen me try and like reach for the nightstand or like I'm trying to find something, especially first thing when I wake up, like when he's going into that tent and he's just kind of like flopping his arm around yeah he's not aggressive he just can't see he's got bifocals okay um i don't think that he is the antagonist like this movie really represents when he goes into that tent he's very curious and i think when you um i grew up on a farm i grew up with like a lot of wildlife around and you would see with like younger animals they're more curious and they kind of like will poke around like you'd see baby deer that would kind of like oh hey what's going on you know baby possums things like that they're a little more you know, they're, they're just, they're meddling, but they're so cute. He goes to kind of get into this tent and this man throws a lantern at him. Right. Like, and, then, and then the other guy tries to hit him with the machete. If you throw yeah. a lantern at me, sir. um, Yeah. I'm gonna throw hands like <laughs> rated E they're for everybody. Let's go. <laughs> I, I don't understand how he's like suddenly the bad guy for retaliating against right. a physical assault. Well, I think that's um, one of the one of the markers of, of some of these universal monster movies. Without a doubt, the the monsters are actually somewhat sympathetic. I mean, Frankenstein's yep. monster. He didn't yep. do anything wrong. Yep. Well, yeah. well, until he accidentally threw the no. I mean, he girl, makes a mistake, but, but he's yeah. not ill intentioned. No, he's no, not no. trying to terrorize. No, the, the monster's crime, maybe Dracula notwithstanding, the monster's crime is existing. Yeah, right. And in a society, exactly. maybe just like this, the, the cryptids that you guys are exploring in a society that tends to reject something that is different. I mean, I'm, I'm moving all the way forward to the shape of water where they've got this similar type mm-hmm. of, of, of specimen. I mean, it's very much based in this. It was essentially, <clears throat> sure. it, it was born yeah. of a- Guillermo del Toro yeah, has right. talked about yes. his love for yeah. this film a lot. I, I just want to briefly <clears throat> though, kind of synopsize the, besides just the fact that they 
go to the Black Lagoon, where nobody has ever come out of, and then encounter the creature who begins kind of like one by one picking people off as they encroach on his territory. Uh, the politics of the ship. You've got... Uh, the le- the money guy who's funding the entire thing and all he wants is the glory of bringing back this creature uh-huh. and you've got a a couple who are romantically together David and uh, yeah. Kay yeah and, and Kay and that are scientists right mm-hmm. and uh, he is there about for the scientific he wants the scientific process to be done correctly he wants everything he's not there to kill the creature he just wants to maybe photograph it so that he can they can then come back and research it appropriately but that uh, creature from the black lagoon once he sets his eyes on julia adams's k he, he is smitten and david uh, all of you uh, that was a nice bathing suit i might have felt the same way I mean, I'm a married woman, and I felt the same way. It was very um, provocative. It was a very provocative. Julia Adams is a, is a beautiful woman, yeah. And yes, the 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 swimming scenes, the underwater scene, like the, the, you know, you talked about the rigs. Some lovely underwater cinematography at a time. Yes. Oh, great! This was that was fairly rare. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you had little short films that had been <clears throat> sure. made, but we weren't seeing Jacques Cousteau yet. We I don't. Well, that. well, I'm used to I'm used to watching tar, uh, old Tarzan movies with. Yeah. Um, uh, oh man, his name escapes me now. Um, Weissmuller. Why? Yes, Weissmuller. Yeah. Who was who was an Olympic diver? Right. And all those shots were of him holding his breath, going underwater. And I was thinking of the same thing when watching um, the the movie. And I'm like, man, I, man, like I wonder if the guy's in there with like a some type of scuba suit or something like that, because that's that's got to be like pressure to hold yeah. your breath underwater and doing a complete scene. Yeah, I won't yeah. lie, I am not familiar with that Tarzan. Brendan Fraser will forever be my Tarzan. <laughs> but and he's um, about to, he's about to make a comeback of sorts. Oh, I am so excited. I yeah. don't care what his body he's got dad bod now. You know what? He's just evolved with my taste over time. He'll that never man, be unattracted to me. That man never left. He is a he's a treasure and will always forever be a treasure. <laughs> yeah, and I want to clarify what I said, what I was trying to say. In 1954, that swimsuit was shocking on the big screen. It, it, oh, it, provocative. Yeah. Provocative. I, I just, I want to see what her suitcase looked like because I am, she would have had to pack so efficiently. This woman had <laughs> more costume changes and more hair and makeup. In the than Amazon. Any, and in the Amazon, girl. My hair frizzes in Texas. Don't even take me to the Amazon and expect me to look like anything other than a potato that got stuck in a light socket. Hey, Anthony, I... they, they, he did hold his breath. Um, they did several camera tests with different suits that would hide scuba gear or aqua lungs. And they, that's what they call them in the movie, right? I better go get the aqua lung. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was thinking like they're going for their tall record. Yeah, right? the, the, yeah, the, the just tall the, record, uh, man. Hell yeah. That was, the, uh, that was the British equivalent. So while we were calling it scuba gear in Britain, they were referring to them as aqua lungs. Yeah. Ah, great. <laughs> but the camera test revealed that it, it made it look, it, you could tell, you could see it. It was creating air bubbles. The director wanted no air bubbles because a guild man would not produce air bubbles the way a fish doesn't produce air bubbles. Right. They're just soaking the oxygen out of the water with their gills. Right. Um, so yeah, he was holding his breath. On top of that, the suit, the visibility in the suit was so poor that he was basically <laughs> blind in it. He was blind with no air, and then he would hold his breath for up to four minute, five minute takes, and then he'd quickly be ushered over they'd, underwater to a hose waiting for him that was put into his mouth. And how scary is that? 
Well, I know the visibility came in. Uh, so they had two different actors, if if I read correctly. They had yeah. one for the water scenes and the one for the land scenes. And they were discussing that visibility issue again, where he's carrying Kay into the cave. And he actually struck her head so hard against the cave wall because he couldn't see it. Yeah. That he knocked her unconscious on set. <laughs> Yeah, like, there's there's a very, uh, I guess, famous photo of the creature of the Black Lagoon and Nurse and the producer and the director yes. all huddled around <laughs> Kay as they put a bandage on her head. And she's still gorgeous. Like, oh my gosh. She was just like <laughs> so daintily having that bandage applied to her forehead. I could never. I could never. Yeah. yeah I, I could never. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what, what did you, were you, was it scary, David? That was my, like, my thing I mean, about viewing it. And I know that when we watch these 30s, 40s, 50s films, some of that shock value, this film creeped out audiences at the time. But I right. wonder if all of that has been lost in translation through time. I think it's tough, right? I mean, we, we've talked about this when we, when we did Frankenstein. We've talked about this when we've done some of these older, that, you know, that what, what sort of got under people's skin at that time on the big screen has definitely changed, right? I mean, the 1960s happened, the 1970s happened, a lot of blood, a lot of guts, a lot of gore, it came into the, the horror equation. And it's hard for me, a viewer who grew up on 80s slasher films and what, to really feel threatened by a film like this. But what I can feel is more this appreciation for what this paved the way for, right? And, and especially, I think, with this one, watching this, my first time, by the way, seeing Creature from oh, the is Black that right? Lagoon. Yeah. Really? Um, yeah, I might. I think I've seen, like, clips of it in, you know, like, anthologies on horror or something, but I had never actually sat down and watched the film. And I think watching it now, at this point in my life, the fact that Shape of Water was out just a few years ago and I did enjoy that film and I kind of had the, like, that helps me to get to understand sort of the impact of this film. But mm -hmm. no, I don't find this to be a scary film to watch personally. What, what about the two of you? Do you think of this as a so, horror film that works I for think, a contemporary audience? I think that this film is actually really scary for the for the woke audience. And I, I hate using that term, but um, I think when you really start to deep, like deep dive into what's going on in the 50s, what some of these things are kind of like metaphorically telling you we see with cryptids in our podcast we see a lot of personification of societal fears we see that monsters are attacking young couples because at the time society is fearing sex or we see you know gay couples are being attacked or we see that certain demographics are the ones being affected yep. so when when i look at horror films <clears throat> Did, did I jump scare? Absolutely not. Was I terrified and felt like, oh my gosh, even in 3D, I don't think I would have felt like this monster is coming after me. But going into it kind of with the idea of the trope that really goes along with it. So I, I found a lot on like home invasion tropes. Like we go all the way back to silent film with that. Home invasion tropes, a lot of the times really were geared at white American audiences. And so when you start getting into this we have a successful white scientific community going into the Amazon. And now we're going over here and we're looking into this evolutionary link that's been missing. When you see the people start getting picked off, it's not the white scientists who are getting picked off. And this monster is coming after the beautiful, educated, 
white woman that was swimming in the water. And I don't, I don't know how controversial I I've listened to quite a few of your episodes, but I don't know how controversial we get. So I won't push that too far. We're dropping dropping dimes. (laughs) So I just think that there really is like a xenophobia that goes here. And when you start looking at was what was going on at the time that this was written at the time that this was put out, if you start looking at the characteristics of uh, the Gilman himself, there's been a lot of people who call out like, hey, like the shape of his lips, the shape of the body, like these are all supposed to be representing an African male or this is supposed to be representing this. And while it's like, oh no, it's just a monster design. He needed bigger lips. Like, you know, when you're in a in a time frame of the 1950s, which during all of this Brown versus Board of Education is going on, this movie came out two months before the Supreme Court passed down their verdict Mm -hmm. so there is there is a lot of racial tension that's happening so while this may have come from um a mexican director i believe it was or cinematographer telling a story at orson wells house now it has become a very much like an american told story and what are we going to do we are going to personify the current fears that are happening and Mm -hmm. i think that it kind of makes it more scary when I'm looking back and especially as you know a white woman looking at it where I didn't have any qualms I was like oh yeah cool this is like oh it's so trendy to like vintage horror this is great (laughs) and then I'm like oh wait but the Brazilian guy got killed then the Brazilian guy got killed and the other Brazilian guy got killed and then the white guy just got maimed and then who's left (laughs) and I'm like oh well um and it's all because of the pursuit of this white woman which was uh you know it was just a really it was a really real thing that was happening at the moment yeah so no i mean i i think you're dead on i mean the, the, when you think about it so you know will that chill of you were watching it maybe not but should it yes yeah. <laughs> you know that, i think that's yeah. like th- this is one of those i think you're exactly right kaylee that if you start looking at the the social context the moment mm-hmm. that this film arrived in the way the monsters depicted um the 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 way the kills unfold in, in the film i think you're absolutely right there's some very problematic um ideological underpinnings yeah yeah and- absolutely yeah yeah absolutely and like just to piggyback on what kaylee was saying is like this is what we do this is what we do on our on our show like when, when we when we talk about each cryptid and all for each state we we dive into like what what are the factors that bring this monster to life mm-hmm. and and when and when you talk about these movies well what are the factors that bring this monster to life that's exactly what's going on yeah it's uh we do context a lot especially when we're mm-hmm. doing when we're doing older films yeah um i i always like to know not just the context in hollywood history or <clears throat> technological advancements that made this film or that film possible or what was the tenor and the tone like as far as the universal monsters because there's only two official universal monster films after this one before Mm -hmm. they before we kind of historically close that era off as saying they ended they were making decreasing box office they were getting cheaper and cheaper budgets and this one was a hit it's like i said spurred two sequels in the sequel the, the second one it's the revenge of the. Uh, I don't have the title in front of me. Okay. It's not the swamp creature, uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon. It's a uh, revenge of the creature. I think he comes. Mm-hmm. He comes to America. You know, 
to oh yeah they put him yeah. in an aquarium in florida right yeah and then of course i mean at that point that he's like of course falls in love with another female scientist or something is that right mm -hmm. well he's a, he's a bit of a lothario the uh now did we man. how do we how do we know he's a man how do we know that this isn't a female creature who is just like, girl, this I just want to get some point. mani pedis. Right. You are so beautiful. Help me do my do. We do not see the gill genitalia. No. I mean, <laughs> this isn't the shape of water where we're holding our hands together and showing how the, the genitalia come out. Like right. we, I just, there, I think there's some assumptions. Don't assume his gender. Good point. Their Good gender. Point. <laughs> that doesn't fit the story as well. So we can go with that. The, the only answer I have for you is in the, credits he's called Gilman. Oh well well but then, mm. you know come on what did okay. they do to check it? Oh well hey <laughs> listen contextually they were they were hitting that, the audience that they that they right, knew how to hit. Right. You know I will give you that one. I will I I I rescind <laughs> my argument there. So David uh we have not done Dracula. We have not done the mummy. I mean we've got plenty of universal yeah. monsters to do in the future for future years of all horror October. I have seen I think all of those major ones. And I think the creature from the Black Lagoon on that Mount Rushmore, the five that are featured in Monster Squad famously, uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon, Gil Man, woman, is not my favorite. He's my <laughs> least favorite, probably. I I think it hit, the stock for me has risen in part because of Shape of Water, because of what that has done to kind of extend the, at least cinematically, the mythology of, of that, uh, of this creature in particular. I think this film has kind of a, I said it wasn't scary, but it has a haunting quality to it. I think especially those underwater scenes. The underwater the, scenes, you cannot argue with. They are beautiful. And, and just yeah. the, the quietness in this kind of, um, I don't know, there, there, there's something dreamlike about it. I think that's, that's the underwater thing too, that I really do. I think as far as the universal horror films go, the universal monster movies go, I think this fits right in there to me in part because it has this kind of atmosphere right. to it that it may not be terrifying, but there is something just haunting and unsettling about it. And I think w when you bring in some of that, you know, sort of contextual, um, you know, framework that, that Kaylee was talking about, this is a film that people should see. This is a film that, mm -hmm. that um, people shouldn't skip over and think like, oh, well, I've seen enough of those monster movies. I think this is one you need to see. When Kay jumps off the boat to go for a dive, to go for a that, swim, and the, God. the creature from the Black Lagoon is, is underneath looking up, did you mm -hmm. notice that it seemed to be a shot-for-shot -shot remake uh, that Jaws, whenever the, the very beginning of Jaws, oh, when the yeah. girl's swimming, yeah. and you can see <laughs> up from the bottom up, it looked exactly the same to me. The other thing I wanted to make sure I got out, I thought that the in, the intro, the uh, in the beginning, uh, <laughs> there was darkness and light, and it's, it's like a, a, a slight retelling of the biblical creation story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Using that language. And then he goes, and then things emerged from the sea. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a second. In 1954, they're kind of blending the creation story and evolution. Yes. And that is actually fascinating to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. That was something that really caught my attention. So um, I have a, a couple things that I, I say this specific expression about, and I know we kind of joked about it before. I was like, I have to Google things or I'll die. Um, <laughs> so I say that about that. And I say that about, um, I have to say weird things or I'll die. Like if it comes to my head, it's probably coming out of my mouth, whether or not it's weird. Um, when we were watching this film, I found myself Googling all of these, like the Devonian age. I was oh, Googling... Yeah like the specific man that they were referring to. I'm like, was there a man in that 
you know, was, do, do we have hominids at this point? And so I actually do want to give them some, like, you know, some, some props because some, I was like, is that a real age? I'm not really familiar with that one. Give me the carboniferous. And I know that, you know, dragonflies were the size of Volkswagen beetles. Like I got that, <laughs> but like, I wasn't familiar with this one as much. Um, so I do want to give them some sciencey props. Like they obviously did some research. Yeah. Like um, they got, they got the science, right. And I was, I was like, all right, cool. I mean, you know, within reason they did. Like <laughs> yeah. I was, I, I feel like I've seen enough movies that claim to be science-based and they just kind of like throw out words and you're like, Ex excuse me, what? Um, <laughs> like the, the poison that they throw into the water. I was like, is that a real poison? And I looked it up and I actually, my, my wifey, my bestie is a chemistry professor at Colorado State University. And I actually text her a little bit about it earlier. I'm like, what does this do? Like, what exactly? Like, why are we throwing a paralytic agent in the water? And then we're jumping in. Like, how does that make, make it make sense? Yeah. And, you know, I started doing some more reading on it. I was like, oh, it, it's passing through their gills. Like, that is why it's affecting them. In order for it to affect uh, people, uh, it has yeah, to be yeah. ingested. Right, right. And the side effect is vomiting. So you're expelling it. So actually being poisoned to the point of, of like paralysis or death is actually really rare in, in a human adult. I was like, okay, okay, that makes sense. I just, I just needed to ask someone who is more learned than I. Thank you. Thank you That's so much. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, they had they had to disable somehow the creature from the Black Lagoon, so they roofied him. It was weird. Oh yeah, with like Alka Seltzers. Yeah. <laughs> like they were plop 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 plop. No. Fizz 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 fizz. <laughs> well, uh, I agree, David. I think it should be seen. I just know that. Oh, one one last thing. You see the hand. You see the hand. You see the hand. <laughs> Then when you finally see his face, it is a jump scare with a, doo, 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 you know, fanfare, orchestral fanfare. And it worked on me. It worked. It did. Now, it's not a scary oh. image, but the jump scare worked. It and um, it yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Like, when you're talking about like the other 1950s uh, films of horror monsters, so, like, does, does it stack up to, to like today standards? Can you watch Creature of the Black Lagoon? <clears throat> Excuse me. And enjoy it? Hell yeah. Yeah. All right. One cryptid film down, one to go. Well, and a bunch of beer has been drank. That's too. right. We we should remark on this. I mean, I'll, I'll at least say on our end, uh, this Leisure Lagoon has has been awfully fun to be sipping while we're uh, talking about this. It's gone down very easy for me. Um, I think we said before this is a hazy pale ale, so it's not an IPA. That's it's right. It's not super heavy. Um, I think five and a half percent alcohol by volume, which puts it in a very comfortable category as I think a leisurely sipper. Yeah, um, nice. If you're if you're comparing your IPAs to your pale ales, right? Uh, then it does have everything that you would expect it not to have. That big big hop bill, right? Uh, I would maybe like to take a trip to Leisure Lagoon and never leave. Yeah, I mean, this Coronado, for, for <laughs> first time on the show, uh, Emily, thank you for bringing this to yeah. us. Good this on you, Coronado. Fantastic uh, beverage. I've enjoyed it immensely, and it has definitely helped with the conversation. I feel like y'all have been dropping pearls of wisdom, so I have to hope that maybe it was the libations that were stimulating <laughs> that. <laughs> I am about one beer in, and... Um... I feel like my face is a little bit flushed because I don't, I don't often drink anymore. I, I make exceptions. This was an exception. Oh, thank um, you. I, I am enjoying my beer. I don't have quite the um, fanciful way to describe my beer. Beer tastes good. 
Um, and Anthony, what is what is your beer like? What are the the <laughs> keynotes? What are the undertone of flavors? Twirl that mustache, me. Anthony. Twirl that mustache. Well, excuse me as I twirl my mustache, <laughs> my mustache, and I I swirl I swirl my Heffenweizen and my Noasis Brewing swirl Company. It. My uh, oh, my yeah, glass here. Unlock the the aromas. He's he's oh he's, goodness. He's freeing it up. You guys are meant to be together. You can have him. <clears throat> Kaylee, yeah. Kaylee, is there any beer left in your glass? There's a little bit. Okay, take a sniff. Don't don't don't. Now it smells swir- like chocolate. Okay, no, now, yeah, they, now yeah, swirl but, but that's... it. Now swirl it. Okay, I'm I'm swirling. I'm swirling. <laughs> it still smells like chocolate. <laughs> that's awesome. <clears throat> and and, well, and that is totally. And now it's I mean, gone. From my recollections of Ridiculous AF, chocolate is sure. the is the main note yeah. that you're going to get, both flavor and aroma. <laughs> there, there is a strong peanut butter to it. Like I will right. say, there is like a strong peanut butter. It yeah. very much is a is a Reese's cup, and there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's. Yeah, so the, I'm just going to drink, or drink mine. it. Yeah. The tasty, <laughs> yeah. a, the, the tasty AF, which was the very first saloon door I ever had, is yeah. just the chocolate, right? And the yeah. ridiculous, they add the peanut butter. I mean, and I'm they about it. The ABV, quite yeah. A bit, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. It was a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, I feel like anytime we really talk about um, beer, like we we joke that Anthony is very much like the beer the beer bro of the relationship. Um, whenever people really describe like, oh, it's got a kiss of strawberry or like a firework of citrus <laughs> or a string of peach, I'm like, yeah. No, Stephen. It tastes like beer. It tastes like beer, <laughs> and then it instantly just makes me think of like oh, situations where I get in where people are trying to convince me to drink like Lacroix. How I don't know how you pronounce it. I call it Lacroix. That, that, that sounds right. Um, and they're trying to tell you like, oh, it tastes like fresh squeezed strawberries. Like no, Brenda. No, Brenda. It tastes like TV static, and someone is yelling strawberry in the other room. It tastes <laughs> like not what you're saying because then, as soon as they like pass me the beer, like, oh, do you taste the notes of? I was like, no, I taste beer. Yeah. I taste beer. I don't hey, much enjoy we, it. We need yeah, we need La- La- you Croix. to ground us, Kaylee. This this is this is. A... <laughs> oh no, I, I don't I don't like Kaylee at all. Hey, listen, <laughs> Anthony, uh, tell us about the nose and the mouthfeel. Oh, oh this goodness. is fantastic. Yeah, uh, this is definitely definitely a wheat. A wheat beer, Heavenweizen. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> they knocked it out of the park. There's oh, no, they, they there's, do a good there's nothing. There's nothing added to it that makes it like, like some crazy. I don't know, like vanilla slash citrusy right. slash like uh, black licorice. You know, undertones. No, 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 no. It's exactly what you would think a Heavenweizen is. It's yeah. cloudy. It has uh, a great aroma. Tastes amazing that that wheat beer that you that you expect having Weissen to have Noasis Brewing Company knocked it out of the park this is fantastic and because it's local i'm assuming that it's like super fresh it, it, you got to hope yeah i mean it seems like that stuff flies off the shelves so i think when, whenever you're picking it up uh at, at one of our local shops i don't think they're getting distributed much outside of our area i think uh, it's I'm all not, pretty much here yeah yeah. We'll yeah yeah but if you're going to be in town stop by there grab one of these bad boys it is delish for sure well okay so so it sounds like we all had some fun drinking we definitely enjoyed talking about the movie um we're going to take a little break as we do and when we come back as joe uh sort of uh alluded to we will have a second cryptid film that we'll talk about um and at least joe and i'll be opening some other beers so uh we'll we'll hit you after the break (laughs) 
<laughs> Doesn't well, feel I'm right. I'm going to pour Doesn't one out right for him. Yeah, yeah, well. And we are back, though, and our guests are from the 50 States of Terror, a podcast they host. It's Kaylee and Anthony Diaz, Anthony and Kaylee Diaz. And uh, I have listened to a few episodes, David, and I, I really enjoy it. Oh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, they, they, they kind of, you, you got a little, I think if you're listening to this episode, you got a sneak peek of the kind of dynamic that at sure. play in the episode where you have mm -hmm. Kaylee the skeptic, Anthony the believer, going through, offering lots of great uh, details. Kaylee brought a lot of great uh, information to our discussion of uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon in the first half. I have a feeling we're going to have some stuff coming in the second half. If you if you enjoy this, you definitely got to listen to their podcast. And and if you're from someplace, there's probably an episode on your place. Oh, I bet they're headed there soon. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, I, I don't know if you guys brought another beer, but we always do two an episode. David, you've got a you got a can that has me my curiosity peaked. We've done this brewery a few times. I'm bringing us back to a brewery that has definitely made its appearance on the program many times i believe at least once during an all horror october of course in the brains. brains yes um th <laughs> this is drecker brewing out of north dakota um they're kind of known for their smoothie sours yeah. they're you know like these very fruit heavy kind yeah. of uh sour beers which you know Kaylee would say it's just beer right but say right, right up Kaylee's alley beer. yeah it's just <laughs> but, beer guys but this has some fruit chunks in it yeah and, and this one in particular <laughs> It's called Hydra Chonk. Uh -huh. It is a Sunday sour. They say it has raspberry, mango, dragon fruit, toasted coconut, and cream of coconut all incorporated into it. Been a long time since we've been back to Drecker, so I'm excited to have get you agitated the Have you class. agitated the can I moved correctly? It around. Okay. I kind of yeah, you know, I've been doing that. Kaylee, so. don't even look at us. <laughs> to, to be clear, <laughs> to be clear, We're when dorks. you say chonks. You're referring to there is a textural chunk in there. Is that correct? Yes, sure. Yes, yes. That yeah, wait, is, wait till we pour it. That is absolutely not up my alley. No. I am such on, a textural it. person. I think that's why I don't enjoy a lot of like IPAs is because I don't like the way they make my mouth feel. Yeah. It looks Ooh, like I love IPAs. Yeah, this is a thick boy. This is this one has I mean, I like a thick lot boys. of viscosity to <laughs> But well, I was gonna Brendan say not Frazier. In your mouth, but I'm not gonna okay. Uh, hey, we went there. The seal has been broken. Those <laughs> jokes are officially on the table. Okay, I'm, right. I'm game. All right. Did you, are you guys going to crack something else for the second half or a little bit more of the same? I'm going straight straight the same. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Very nice. Well, that, I, I made myself a little redneck cooler out of an iced tea pitcher. So I have whatever is in this cooler and ice, uh, which is literally our sweet tea pitcher with a beer can and some ice and a beer can and some ice. So I'm not getting up, and I'm just going to keep drinking the same thing. <laughs> well, cheers to you guys. Thank you well so done. much for being here. I, I looked through your entire playlist mm -hmm. of, of 50 States of Terror, and I can't help but notice, and, and like you said, David, this is a good point. If you're, We have listeners from all over. I know you guys do, do too. If mm -hmm. you live in a state, go to their playlist and find your state. But yes. I, I looked for my state, the great state of Texas, and I found zero. Okay, well, now we're, there's, we're, there's we're... a very good reason. <laughs> Now, I, I know that you are a very intelligent person just from our conversation today. I know this to be true. I got her fooled. Um, did, you, did you happen to notice a trend of the states? Did you uh, notice that they were alphabetical? An alphabetical? Okay, there is an alphabetical. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, I do also want to throw out there that um, Anthony and I had a discussion early on where 
we're like, okay, so what are we actually going to cover? Because uh, we were really playing off of states of terror. Like, oh, you're in a state of terror, 50 mm-hmm. states of terror. So that's what we went through. Great it was name. not 50 shades of gray. It was 50 states of terror. Um, <laughs> womp, but womp, womp. Uh, hey, <laughs> but the more that we were really discussing, like, what all are we going to cover? Um, there was a lot going on with Puerto Rico at the time. And a lot of assistance that wasn't going to Puerto Rico when we were really in the, you know, creating of the concept. And so Anthony and I did have a discussion that we're also going to be covering U.S. territories and we don't want that to be excluded. So if you are a listener that maybe you live in a U.S. territory, but maybe you're not in the United States, we want to be as inclusive as possible. So we've already actually covered Puerto Rico which I apologize to every Texas listener because I feel you shall be so disappointed when you learn that the chupacabra is not yours. Does that belong to Mexico? It belongs no, to, Puerto to Puerto Rico. Rico. Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. The yeah. first si- the first sightings were in Puerto Rico. So if you're interested, that was our season two welcome back episode. We were joined by our good friend, um, Scuba Steve. <laughs> he came on for that episode. Nice. Steve Vasquez joined us. And um, yeah, we get to talk about that. But I always I always find it so funny that Texas is so proud of Texas and I am not a Texan. So I, I feel comfortable in, in saying Texan as other yeah. people. OK, I, I, um, I'd love it if you guys would give our guys, our listeners, a, uh-huh. um, a sneak peek of what you might do at Texas. And I don't know if you guys are going to hang out with us at After Hours at Patreon.com slash Beer and a Movie Podcast after we get done doing this. Oh, we absolutely are. Okay, oh, maybe yeah. maybe you'll reveal that. And I have questions for you about Goatman, which is uh-huh. my favorite local uh, cryptid situation. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I've got stories about that. But um, okay, so you're having the Hefeweizen. You're having the Ridiculous AF. David, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the next movie? I really <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this film. This was one that I was really excited that Anthony and Kaylee uh, it brought up because it is a film, another one. <laughs> That I had never seen, but had heard I'd never about, heard of it. I had heard about when I was younger. I I distinctly remember I had a friend who was a bit older than I was. Mm-hmm. You know, I was born in seventy eight, and, and I believe he was born a little bit earlier, probably closer to seventy. And he grew up having seen this film at pretty young. It's it, now. I, was it rated G or PG? I mean, it, I watched it on Amazon Prime yeah. and it said rated G yeah. for both of the films in the top left right. corner. Oh, so, goodness. So this is one that he could get, you know, he was allowed to see and he was terrified by this film. This film really shook him up in, in some profound ways. And so it had stuck with me as this kind of film that I knew about. And I remember seeing really cheap looking DVDs of this film back in the (laughs) early 2000s, which I'm glad I did not bite on because apparently whatever was circulating all unauthorized, they were terrible, like rips of VHS copies that had circulated. Yeah, just bad, bad, bad. So I never saw one of those, but I remember thinking, oh, I should see that at some point. I should see that at some point. When when Kaylee and Anthony presented this idea of well, Legend of Boggy Creek could be, this is the perfect opportunity, right? And so this is a 1972 film that was made at a very small scale. This is you know yes. this is before Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? But yep. this is a very similar scenario where you have people who have almost no money. Um, very little access to the filmmaking infrastructure of Hollywood, right? But trying to do something interesting that will capture attention, 
capture people's excitement. And what happens here is we have the filmmaker Charles B. Pierce, um, who decides let's take this local legend, this local idea of this, and I, I keep reversing the pronunciation of this uh, town. Is it is it Falk? It's Falk, but the it's Falk. It's, at least one person called it fuck in the movie. Okay. And I, <laughs> that, I go with it. That's 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 just the dialect. Um it's funny because I actually moved to Texas from Arkansas. Okay. I'm not from Arkansas, but I moved here from um I lived on the military base in Little Rock, well oh, in wow. Jacksonville. And so I'd heard a little bit about this, but this isn't really as much of a story I think that is told. I mean, what I was there in like 2009 to 2011 ish, mm -hmm. but every area of Arkansas has their own version of it. It's not always called the same thing, but everybody had like a Bigfoot story. Everybody had a Sasquatch story. Yeah. Um, and so does it, it was, does it move from region to region, or are they talking about this Falk region, which does actually exist very so, close? Yeah, Falk is actually um, in the Southwest. So it's actually really close to Texarkana, which is right. where the first stories broke. That's where it first hit the news circuit. Um, so I was more like central in the state. So I lived in the, the Little Rock area. And we made jokes all the time that all roads lead to Little Rock. If you have any talent of any kind, you end up in Little Rock. That's how, you know, Evanescence came to be. They were playing at like little dive bars in, in Little Rock. There's not a whole lot going on in the state. But um <laughs> when I started hanging out in some of the little towns outside Little Rock, um, I, I was, I went through a divorce. I started making friends that were outside of the area. I was going and hanging out in a little town called Romance. And they even had their, their own little like Bigfoot stories. Of course they had some other urban legends that really kind of overshadowed those. Like we, I'm not condoning anything that I've ever done in my life. Um, <laughs> But we used to go hang out in this house and it had like three bedrooms. It literally looked like it could have been in this movie. And we'd go out and we were drinking whiskey from the bottle and getting on ATVs and like hanging out and doing redneck stuff. That's just what you did. And we went out to a cliff one day and it was a suicide cliff is what everybody called it. And I didn't believe him until I looked over the edge one night and I, you could see the taillights of cars that were at the bottom of the cliff that when there were oh, accidents, wow. they would take the people out. So those are the stories that really overshadowed. But when we weren't talking about those, there were Bigfoot stories. I'm like, I don't believe in any of this, so I don't really care. But I can definitely see cars, and those are real. I can see those. <laughs> I believe those. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was in just a little, like, I guess, Arkansas, like, anecdote there. But yeah, um, yeah psh, whew, there's a lot going on down in yeah. that southwest corner. Well, you know, as you've said, this is sort of the, the creature here that we're talking about, this Falk monster, is very much a version of a Bigfoot-like creature, which, you know, that perhaps you all can can expand our, our understanding of that because we've all heard of Bigfoot. I He's got to like be the granddaddy that is of the, the cryptid. That is the head honcho sure. cryptid, right? Yeah. I mean, like He's the CEO the, of cryptids. But, but, but then again, I think there's particularity, right? Like here, this is the Falk monster. Sure. Whereas I'm, I'm sure there are other regions that have their particular name for right. whatever this hulking right. seven, eight foot creature is. <laughs> I thought you said folking instead of uh, hulking for there for a second. I thought that was, I thought that was very clever of you. <laughs> oh, if only I were that clever, yeah. Uh, who owns Bigfoot? Nobody. Nobody and if you does. listen to our <clears throat> podcast, this is a... This is a common thread that comes up. The closest thing that we've done to covering uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch at this point was um, I recently did a case on the Minnesota Iceman, which oh, yeah. was rumored to be a Yeti of some sort. But you're right. Like 
Bigfoot really is the granddaddy of cryptids. It's the first thing people think of. But what I don't think a lot of people realize is that there are so many different types of Yeti. And I will absolutely let Anthony go off on this here in just a second because I I just don't think Bigfoot's that interesting. I think he's just a big hairy guy. Um, I think I think other cryptids really capture my attention a little bit more. But uh, the Minnesota Iceman specifically was thought to be kind of like a war trophy that was brought over from Vietnam and across the world in every culture in every country there is some variation of a yeti whether that's an abominable snowman if that yep. is something that is you know folking <laughs> big or hulking <laughs> big or whatever it needs to be yeah um or whether they're smaller and they're humanoid still or they're hominids and they're just real stocky and muscular but they're covered in fur every single one has a different variant yeah. and so not that that makes it unappealing to me it's just one of those like cool everyone's got that story let's focus on like the snallygaster that has tentacles and a bird head and you know let's let's go really far out there but that anthony i know you <laughs> i thought so it was a whole moonshiner operation but anthony <laughs> I, I know you have a whole uh, a whole thing on bigfoot so if you'd like to to weigh in on bigfoot and who gets it no no like you're right nobody nobody gets a claim bigfoot as as their own because there's so many variations and like if if you had to put like one one area of okay if we had to put a place a, a placemat on and say hey this is where sasquatch is it would be like canada washington state area okay let me interrupt you real quick where is where was the video shot the famous video we've all seen of that famous lumbering whatever that is fun fact that was a female that was supposed to be the maiden of the wood. Okay. And that was uh what? that was on the West Coast. West Coast. Yeah, that was on the West Coast. All right. Um, but yeah, like so like when when we were, were talking about Sasquatch and where it, it's from, <clears throat> that's why we're not gonna give it to into any to any state. Because Florida has the skunk ape. Um, let's see. Um uh let's see. Arkansas, Louisiana has the the liquid monster the fox monster um and then bigfoot is like washington state canada and things like that so okay. um man i have so much prepared on bigfoot i was i'm like i, I don't know <laughs> like, I, I, I can go on for like an hour well, just, no, just and, and, alone. and perhaps <clears throat> you, you will here soon um i i should do a little bit more just to lay sure. out what's this movie what yeah. is this movie, what is this movie about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, so i mean w one of the things that's i think unique about this film is that you know it took that low budget and and the way that they approached telling this story was not to try to you know outdo Hollywood and what it does and like, you know, special effects and, and uh, great makeup and great costuming and lighting. And uh, instead it was to say, okay, let's present this as matter of factly as possible. We're going to present this pseudo documentary style. Now, I, I mean, you might call it a mock documentary. You might call it a fake documentary. It's not going for laughs with it. I mean, it might get some laughs, but it's not going for laughs. I don't think. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's it's using that idea that this is a real phenomenon that real people in this area of Arkansas have experienced 
and we are going to show you their stories. It starts out with that sort of like, these are sure. true stories, you know. Um, and, and this time, this person found a footprint. Right. And this time, this cabin was terrorized by the Falk monster for two or three right. nights in a row. This time, and it yes. just it kind of shows you. It's a series yeah. of these recountings, which are roughly chronological of like, when have these recent sightings of right. this monster taken place? Who was involved? What are the kinds of repercussions of it? Who got harmed? Who was frightened? Whatever. And through a series of... It killed their kitten. Yeah. <laughs> Close up of dead cat face. Somewhat, <laughs> right. yeah, that was, that, that was a lot to parts. digest. That was, yeah. Um, so you have a series of sort of uh, partial interviews with, with some of these residents who some are going by their actual names. Others, if you look it up, are, are actually going right. by kind of pseudonyms or, or, right. or taking on different different names. Um but presenting stories that some of them had encountered themselves, some that had been talked about by others, and then doing these kind of dramatic reenactments of these scenarios that people found themselves in where this monster was attacking. And, you know, the reason why this fake documentary format, I think, is especially notable is that, uh, you know, a film that came, came along just about 25 years later... Blair Witch Project. I thought about the Blair Witch many times while we, watching which this. Which we oh, absolutely, yeah. We know well. Very similar scenario. Using a small budget, saying what can we do with this? Well, let's present it as if it's a documentary. It's these people actually experiencing this thing, um, and both of those films, this Boggy Creek and Blair Witch Project, doing that kind of crazy astronomical um, return on investment right. that you get with these kind of small budget films, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, um, the, Blair, the Blair Witch was shot for a hundred thousand and made a hundred million. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now here, no, yeah. not quite as big a jump, but still on a budget of about $160,000. Yeah. $1972. Somewhere around 20 plus million dollars yeah. taken in at the box office, which this, I mean, for that time period, this, at least by some accounts, was up among the top grossing films of 1972. I saw Absolutely. that. Um, and I really think that really um, can attribute a lot to, this was a drive-in yeah. theater, must-see. I think there's kind of a an ambiance that lends to, I mean, I know we don't have a lot of drive-in theaters anymore, but I remember, you know, when I was younger, we had quite a few and we would go see those. And the movies that were very like tech heavy, that were very like sciency or futuristic, they didn't really resonate with me the same way as when you saw like a fairy tale movie or when you saw a movie that was about being outdoors. When you're watching something about being in the outdoors and what the potential lies in the shadows of the woods and where our theater, our drive-in theater was and the woods are right there, you're looking at the woods like, is there something there? And I think that that theater of the mind really, which is something that I know Anthony uses a lot in our podcast, like theater of the mind. But I think it really does play into the, like the efficacy of what they're showing you. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say this is a film that Anthony chose. I chose Creature of the Black Lagoon because I already knew some of the undertones. I'm like, yes, this is my style. Uh -huh. This is more Anthony's style. I had some problems with the film overall, but it does have kind of a secret connection to our first film. Ah. which is that Clint Eastwood appeared in the third of the Creature from the Black Lagoon. That was his film debut, was that he was like a lab assistant. Wow. And then later on, Charles Pierce, who wrote this film and directed or wrote or directed this film, 
later on went and wrote films with Clint Eastwood and is responsible for some of the most known quotes from Clint Eastwood. So I thought it was kind of like a cool little like, you know, seven degrees of seven Clint degrees Eastwood. Of Clint Eastwood. Hell yeah. you, you got us like <laughs> but, within one degree. That's pretty awesome. Girl. Yeah, it was it was really neat. If this now, guy, I, if the guy that you're using as the connection made the orangutan flip off uh, in, in every which way but lose, <laughs> I'm gonna be blown away. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't quite that. Uh, but Charles Pierce, he went on to make a series of different films. They were all about Southern small towns. Yeah. I was not familiar with this film until we started our podcast because of course, like, I mean, I hate to say it, but content creation really is half of making a podcast. Like you have to start following like people, you have to follow like interests. And so I started following, um, one of the prime examples would be, uh, Lyle Blackburn okay. who wrote a book about the folk monster and is currently out promoting his Texas big, Bigfoot book. And so he was he was sharing it, he was writing about it. Um this was a big topic was, you know, the legend of of Boggy Creek. Boggy Creek? Did I just forget the name of the film? Yeah, Boggy Creek. Yeah, Boggy. Okay, cool. I was like, did this one and a half beer get my goat here? Um he later That would be wrote... ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> oh honey. Oh honey. <laughs> but he later wrote um The Town That Feared Sundown, which That's is a movie right. I am familiar with. And that's, you know, with the the Lover's Lane murders that I actually covered on a different podcast. So it, it's just kind of cool to see that progression. But I wanted to make sure I put the Clint Eastwood. Easter that was awesome. I am so glad. I, I have not seen that. Though? That's what awesome. The, what was the running time? Uh, the, 118? The, it was just under It was 119. Okay. Long, long minutes. Okay, so the film is... <laughs> I, I, I like you again, Kaylee. I think we're headed the same direction. <laughs> the film is ambiance-driven Boggy Creek. That that makes something in my mind's eye, a Boggy Creek. And what mm -hmm. you're seeing in the film, largely, not largely, but, but a large portion of it is ambiance-driven film of a creek. Yep. Uh, stumps, <laughs> reeds. Uh, Why the, did it zoom in? It zoomed in on just the most ridiculous things. I it would zoom in on like a tree trunk. I'm like, oh, are we about to see? Are we about to see the monster? Hey, oh, hey that's no, that's, that's 19, just a tree. That's 1970s creativity right there. I mean, you gotta, yeah, yeah. That's right. right. A, a sunset over uh, the body of water. Then you've got the uh, reenacted. I guess you'd call it that for the docu drama kind of thing they're going for here. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, two visitor, two uh, a man and his son came to fish, so they went down to the creek to fish. And then you oh, see his five... name is Corky Hill. That's the only thing I remember yeah, from the see... whole damn movie. <laughs> so so we, the most we, ridiculous we... name. So we have to show you them on the creek. We have to show you the bobber and the water going up and down. We have to show da, 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 like these extended uh, pictures of what of what you're seeing. And then you've got the out of nowhere two folk songs that must have been written directly for the film. Yes, yeah. That take up three minutes each. To me, me too. The, the film was like one nineteen, but could have been a fifteen minute, really interesting kind of doc, short documentary Are... of of what we're talking about. But then, every so often, you get a glimpse of the arm of the creature, or the creature from far <laughs> away, or. And Definitely I, from far. I away, wanted yeah. so much more of the creature. That I wanted so much yes. more of, of what we're trying to see here—the folk monster. 
I, I wanted to say, come on, folk monster, but I found myself going, fuck this monster for a majority. <laughs> fuck of... this monster. Folk this monster? Oh, yes. this monster. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I hear the frustration, Joe. I, I think this is this is an interest. I, I like this film. Oh, no, I knew you what? would. I don't. Yes, I don't love this film. Kayla, but I he's like our this apologist. Film. He, he always finds. Oh a my goodness! Lining. I mean, you know what? Sometimes it's hard when you listen to a podcast to know which voice goes with which person, even though you get that really good introduction in the beginning. But now I know exactly who you are. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. I, right. I have I have such a long drive for work, and I remember I was like, "Oh, there's this guy who's always apologizing for everything," oh, and now I know. I'm not apologizing. Well, I'm when just... I say he's the apologist, I don't mean he apologizes. All that I mean is he always finds the silver lining in yeah, film. So when uh, well, I I come at it hard, he's like, "But the cinematography." Well, now are you familiar with the uh, the HBO documentary about the West Memphis Three? I guess not. No. Okay, so the West Memphis Three, it's a it's a true crime documentary. It is a very hard watch. Um, I don't recommend it for people who are squeamish. Just know going in, you are going to see the victims and the victims are very young. I was not prepared for it. But this movie made me think of that documentary so many times because one of the grieving stepfathers of the victims was also in the process of trying to become like a gospel singer or wow. become like this this folk singer and it would go from like these horrific, horrible stories to him trying to sell his records and singing. And it just felt so out of place and disjointed. Uh, and so during, you know, our, our mockumentary documentary, uh, yeah. Legend of Boggy Creek, it would just go from, oh, the horrible thing and the man who lives alone in the swamp, but this little boy bothers him every morning. And then we're gonna sing a song about it. And I, I just felt like they were trying to give us the impression that this Bigfoot is just really, really lonely. Like yeah. you're trying to paint him as so awful. And then you're like, well, his lonely cries in the middle of the night. I'm like, <laughs> he just needs a girlfriend. Like go find him a lady monster. Well, hey, I'm on. not it's, sure. You know, like we were saying, these monsters, they have a a whole, you know, psychological profile that, that doesn't have anything Perhaps to do with do. what people interact with. It. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got more to say about why, what I didn't like about it, David, but now, I, I, mean, I am curious. I, I do want to say like, because one of the things you like the, the cinematography, you know, you've already said the the shots of this area. This is, I think, a very it's it's an area that I don't live in, right? But it's not that far from us, right? Um, it's very pretty. That that has a kind of stunning beauty to it, sure. Agreed. And that if you're not familiar with the area, if it's not a place that you've been, it it actually, I mean, there are some long stretches in there where it's just that kind of landscape cinematography and you know kind of quietness that somewhat like the creature from the black lagoon that are just kind of haunting and kind of uh i don't know like it, there's something just atmospheric about this film that i could imagine you know we've talked about on the podcast before the idea of a party film and usually we're talking about one that's kind of a so strange that like at any given moment you turn around and, and there would be some weird image on the screen and everybody would kind of get a laugh out of it or something. <laughs> Kay Kaylee Anthony, a party film was a film you put on at the party with the volume all the way down, but people will then kind of kind of get together off the TV and ask to turn the volume up because you're watching a party film. Right. Have you, have you ever seen Mother Goose Rock and Rhyme? That would be my party uh, film. Okay, no, but it's going to be on our list for a future episode. You absolute, you better bring me back for that one okay. because it is. But tell me, it David, is, how is this a party? 
So I just think you could, maybe not in the same way that it would like draw people to it. And they would, but if you had this on in the background and people were to look, I, I mean, I think this is just kind of, sometimes you'd get that haunting landscape cinematography. Sometimes you'd get these kind of just, you know, non-actor sort of like rural Arkansas residents who are just kind of, you know, speaking to the camera or speaking, you know, like that I think there's just something kind of captivating about the images. It's also that, you know, again, the time period, the quality of it. I saw this, I rented it on, um, on Apple, okay. right? That, that was the platform that I used to get it. Oh, you're an Apple user. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, I thought we could be friends. Oh, come on. Are we going to draw I'm just a line? Kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Are you what, John Hodgman and, uh, <laughs> Justin Long here, uh, but, but no, the, the, you know, I, I saw it good quality digital stream that clearly had come from a nice print of the film that they digitized mm -hmm. because I could see it. I think it was shot on 16 millimeter and you can see a little bit of the grain in the image, but it's just gorgeous. I mean, to me, it's like, it's like watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, seeing those films that were shot on that kind of but budget David, Texas in Chainsaw the 1970s. Massacre had a story. It did. It had, it had a narrative. Well, I see, this I, has a story. When I say the Blair uh, Witch, I like. Remember the part, the beginning of the Blair Witch, when they're still in town interviewing people. Yeah. Yeah, I heard about this Blair Witch, and they, she came down. down the left. <laughs> That's the entire movie. No, I, you I should talk like well, that for the remainder of the podcast. <laughs> sure, well, just, just want to throw that out there. That was amazing. Certainly, the story. All. The story is that there's something in the woods. That, that's the story. There you go. See, I think this is just a That's strip, a concept. That's not a narrative. It's a stripped down, but no, the idea is like there's something in there and many people have encountered it and we're going to show you how these encounters have unfolded and who's sure. been impacted by it. And I get what you're saying, Joe. It does not give you a character or even set of characters to latch on to other than maybe the monster, but it doesn't really develop the monster. Oh, the monster gets about 39 seconds of screen time right. in the entire night, the um, 90 minutes of film. So I understand what you're saying, but I do think that there's something there. I think it, I don't think it is a great film. I don't think it's one that everybody needs to see. Creature from the Black Lagoon, yes. Everybody should see Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, especially if you're uh, a monster movie fan, I think that, that you absolutely have to do that. This one, I don't think you have to see, but you have to appreciate what it did. I mean, how many films in this era were able to find the kind of audience that this yes, film that's did? That's the truth. You're and that right. is just film outstanding how it was able to make that kind of mark at Anthony, that moment. I, I feel bad. I don't want to shit all over a guest's movie that he suggested. Oh, no, no, no. Because like, okay, here's, here, here's the reason why I, I picked this movie is because it shines a small little light in the early, early years of the birth of cryptozoology. Mm -hmm. It shined a small little, a small little light on people investigating what they think they saw. And whether it whether it be the chupacabra, whether it be Bigfoot, whether it be Mothman, Skunk Ape, what what have you, this was an introduction, film-wise, in a new media to show people that there there are those who come to investigate the, these types of things now, because this wasn't this wasn't around in nineteen you know ten nineteen twenties, the stories were. But nobody was out there in investigating what these things could have been. And this, mm -hmm. that didn't come around to the 1950s. Right, right. No, I think I, I think for that reason too. I mean, th this is this is an interesting sort of moment where yeah. I think this 
as Anthony said, like cryptozoology was kind of coming more into popular recognition. Mm -hmm. You you have film as a medium with more people able to enter it with even more limited means than they'd been to been able to in the past. What can you do with this? And Pierce in that moment, I think brought these things together in a way that just caught fire. Uh, it, 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 it ignited the public's imagination and got them in there. Now, to us, does this come across as a chilling uh, expose right. of, of a phenomenon? Probably not. No, I no, mean, like, no. Because we've seen so much since. Correct. I mean, I grew up watching Inside Edition where they were sure. <laughs> every week they had some Well, I was just going to say that <laughs> I remember when I saw Blair Witch Project, I saw it early before the the big buzz of it and then everyone went to go see it and i remember there were two people two types of people for that film that was very scary and what they didn't show was effective mm -hmm. and then the other people were like I, I, what, what? I, I, what's the big damn deal about this movie it's yeah. making so much money but it's so stupid <laughs> what, what, happened? <laughs> what happened at the so okay that being said Rewind. When did Blair Witch come out? Two thousand ninety-seven. Okay. Yeah. Ninety-nine. Uh, Ninety-nine. So, okay. So I, I was nine years old when that movie came out, and oh, my yeah. whole hometown was, "You cannot watch." This is the same hometown that like banned Harry Potter. So it was one of those like S nope. a, sens a sensible town. You're saying a sensible town in Missouri, <laughs> in the heart of the homeland in the Midwest. Yes. So, uh, yeah, no, I was not allowed, or it's not that I wasn't allowed to, I just never had the opportunity when it first came out, but please continue. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say 27 years prior, you've got this, which made as much money as it did. And you're right, Kaylee, in the drive-in circuit, mostly, I, I know I'm, I'm approaching it from a pointy headed level and I'm not allowing <laughs> myself to be taken up in it. I know, I know that I, mm -hmm. I know that I'm being a snob mm -hmm. when I watch this movie. But 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 this might well, be. But I think this is one of those times that you being a snob actually puts you in alignment with most people who would be upset. I think I'm more the snob here, honestly, because I'm <laughs> saying, because I usually am, because I'm saying, well, no, look at this moment in time. Look at what this film accomplished. Look at how it still has this kind of haunting atmosphere mm. to it. And those are the things that I'd put out there as like this is something worthy of. If somebody is a real hardcore either. It, you know, into cryptid lore or into um, early independent filmmaking, and how did people get like off the ground? Oh with yeah, this is like a, this. this is a film encyclopedia must. I, I think this is one of those. Sure. It's like this is an important moment in film history for those reasons, and I can find value in it for that. Now, from a just put this on for an average viewer, and what are they going to think? I guarantee 99% of the people you sit down and put this on for are going to say, can we put something else on? Sure. Oh, is this a bicycle thief situation? Yeah. <laughs> it is I'm available. I'm just kidding. I'm hey. totally kidding. So Anthony, when, uh... Anthony the, the Blair Witch, to my knowledge, was made up for that movie. Was the Falk monster a thing prior to the film or was it made for the film? Oh, no. No, the, the Falk monster was a thing. Uh, going back to 19, 1901, I, I want to say, okay, <clears throat> of, of people experiencing uh, this uh, large humanoid creature inside the woods of Far Arkansas. Like it's, um, it was one of those things that where this was maybe one of the first movies, I believe, to actually feature a cryptid story as its main 
as its main focus. And this this wasn't a a, a monster movie. This was this was somebody trying to explain the stories of, of what the encounters people have with this monsters, you know. So no, it, it wasn't it wasn't a made up thing. These are these are people who are, who are telling their their side of the story of this uh, this creature. So the earliest um, the earliest accounts that I saw officially being reported. And that's not to say that, you know, things weren't going back to 1901 by any means. But the first time that I saw it reported was uh, 1940s, I believe. And that was in that Texarkana newspaper. Sure. Because the person was from Texarkana. It's not very far away. They were in the area. They went back. They reported it. It was it was reported, which is kind of why I think it's funny that he later did the town that fears sundown or the town that dreads sundown. Mm -hmm. Um, So there there were reports that were starting to come in. But coming from a, a small town, albeit in a different state, but there really are like these kinds of stories. Like we have horrible stories that got passed around. Um, I'm from Cass County, Missouri. It doesn't really matter the town. Actually, the county doesn't matter either. But we had an area called the Amarugis. And the Amarugis are, it's a conservation area. And we had monster stories from out there. Did anybody see anything? I highly doubt it. But did we hear stories from our parents or our grandparents? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you ask them, that is where the KKK met. It's where cougars killed all your cattle. It's where you saw these monsters. There was a gravity hill. It was it was the Mecca for all things that were, you know, paranormal, unusual, or strange. And the more that you hear these stories, my dad was a preacher in these small towns. Like you would hear these kind of stories coming in. People are like, oh, did you see such and such and such and such? And I don't even know if they saw the same thing. But of course, like, you're not going to let your neighbor see a cooler thing than you. Absolutely. <laughs> I saw the same thing. You know, oh, did you see that, that you know, that fish that was out there and it was flapping? It was huge. Oh, yeah, I almost caught it. Yeah. Like, it's that story that just kind of just just keeps elevating. It's it's always getting bigger. It's always getting more intense. It's always getting more fantastic. Which also doesn't mean that there isn't a kernel of truth. That one of the things that I love exactly. that you bring up on the podcast, on on your podcast on Fifty mm-hmm. States of Terror, pretty often is I love how you do the kind of breakdowns of okay, what is the most likely? Like, yes. n- not necessarily right. like w- what you know, w- w- how crazy could this get rid of? But like, look at the facts of of what people have said, and and how could you align that with a real or a phenomenon yeah. that we could imagine happening? Like, because what is that common right. denominator? Yeah, yeah. There, there usually is some kind of like kernel there. Like, is there an area that's kind of laid out this way, and mm-hmm. and they have some wildlife that mm-hmm. you know could appear like that because very often there are some potential explanations. Some of the things that really um, like stuck out to me from watching the film, like, first of all, there was a very clear, clear cut situation that the sheriff or constable or or whatever this, this like law enforcement peace officer. Here, here's my loner shotgun. Yes. Okay. But first of all, I grew up in a town where that could very potentially happen. So I'm not even, (laughs) that wasn't outside the realm of possibility. I was just about to say that. I was like, come on, that's, that's believable for you. (laughs) I mean, come on now. I, I almost got arrested at like 15 and instead they called like five other squad cars, which was the entirety of the police force in my hometown. And they called my grandma and had her come pick me up because of Grand Theft Auto. Um, I was really just borrowing a car. We tell that story on a different episode. Um, <laughs> so it, yeah, I just grew up we'll in that kind of town. In 60 seconds. Yes, but the this this law enforcement <laughs> officer was very much like, "Hey, do you see these cougar tracks? 
like that the, a puma cougar i'm not sure what they call it it's it's very regional as to what it is um and they're like oh no i didn't see those well there was a description earlier on in the show where there a gentleman is talking about his dog and how it looked like it had been completely flayed like it had just jumped on its back and pulled it down one of the stories that i grew up hearing was my grandparents had stables so they had horses and you know we're out on this property out in the middle of nowhere and apparently there was a cougar in our area because we're not far from the ozarks that go obviously into arkansas and there was a cougar attack on one of my grandma's horses and the conservation kept telling everybody there's no cougars here there's you know there's no pumas in this area and my grandma just was like look i know it was a cat because cats attack from the back dogs attack the throat cats pounce on the back and they peel down so when this guy was describing how his dog was attacked and it was attacked like you know from up top and it had almost been skinned i'm like that actually sounds a little bit more like a puma attack than anything else like or the you think jaguar, about the jaguar that was hiding under the other family's house yes yeah that is that that that's the exact one so i was like i couldn't remember what word they used for that one but yeah they some of the descriptions were very cat-like in the attack or kind of like that batting at something. Yeah. When we think about cougars, they are big cats, but technically they aren't big cats. When it comes to like uh what the taxonomy, is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're still small cats. They're actually more related to house cats than they are lions and tigers. Oh so my. they are the large I almost said it. <laughs> <laughs> so they are they're closer related because they are the largest of the small cats. Right. There's a definitive part where it changes. So I'm not saying that anybody didn't experience something that was unexplainable, but there's got to be something on the in-between. And I know they had a, a definite moment where they said that there was about an eight-year gap between attacks. So there was an eight-year gap. Well, guess how long uh, cougars live for? About eight years. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm funny. wondering if there is some kind of like, you know, they, they had a litter or, you know, yeah however they have their children later on it comes back to the area animals are uh you know they're a whole different thing but i wanted to bring up it's really interesting where i was trying to make sense of this movie the entire time me too and then you get to the the last 15 minutes maybe where they're telling the last anecdote and i literally paused it and said how much longer do we have because i might turn it off (laughs) Anthony so said about uh, 15 minutes, and I was like, okay, press play. Okay, I can, okay, I can so, make it. <laughs> so so now I realize with 15, 20 minutes to go, when they're setting up the last scenario, that they've been building up to this. That now we're going to see a horror movie. You know, that's what I'm thinking. And it's uh, uh, this you know, the, these two young couples uh, rented a house together to save some money. This is Bill, and this is Jane, and this is Bob, and this is Susan, and they have two kids, and da 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 and they work at the coal mine or whatever it was. Uh, they worked on a horse ranch. Yeah, they, 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 they worked they at a, miners, a nearby yeah. ranch. So the women were going to keep themselves company while the men worked late at night. Uh, and then, and then over the course of the next several nights, there was unspeakable horror, you know, something like that. And I was like, yeah. oh, here it comes, here it comes. We're getting, we're getting there, we're getting there. Um, the unspeakable horror. So yes, then the I guess the Falk monster tried to. I can't remember exactly. Get into the house, blah blah blah. And then they had um, uh, guests, and then, uh, on the second night of this unspeakable <laughs> horror, 
They fend off the monster. They call the sheriff. The sheriff loans them a shotgun and some shells. I'll be back to pick it up tomorrow. And they, uh, you know, they're they're doing still plausible, still plausible guy. Yeah. And then in the middle of the night, this guy goes to take a poo, and and it it shows like it goes it shows the from the outside looking through the window him pulling down his pants, sitting down, and I'm like. This is the most fucked up weird movie I've ever seen. Okay. And then okay. all of a sudden, the hairy hand, the hair of the Falcon good party monster. movie, if you were to turn around at that moment. You'd... Uh, well, yeah, but I'd wait for an hour. Wait for the shitting scene. It's coming up in an hour 10. Don't, it's coming. Don't worry. There, there is a payoff to this thing. Um, um, and then the movie's kind of, uh, they, the, the, the monster comes back. They, they think they shoot it. They never find it. And then the movie's kind of over at that yeah. point. Yeah. Um, so I'm really glad you brought up that scene because it, it definitely fun. It brought fun. up I a conversation for Anthony and I. There were a couple times, and I know this this film was was shot long before I was born. I was born in 1990. I mentioned that I was a 90s baby earlier. Um, there were a couple things that really unlocked core memories for me because growing up in a redneck town, you're always at least like a decade or two behind. There was a dress at one point. I'm like, I'm pretty sure my mom sewed me a dress that looked like that. I think I had those overalls. Like, I don't. We were thrift store kids. It's fine. Um, but my, the house that I grew up in had a bathroom with a window that never had a curtain. And that was a fear of mine. <laughs> that was a genuine, I, you, we were so far out in the country. We could not see another house. Like if you went like a few houses down, you were a mile away. Mm -hmm. Not a big deal. Like you're, you're pooping into the abyss. I don't know how you want to think about it. <laughs> But I think we have, was... an, we have a title for this episode. <laughs> there you go. But, title has but, been named. But there was a um, there there was a window in a bathroom, and I just had this this constant fear that someone was going to look in on me doing my business uh -oh. in the middle of the night, and I was just going to see a face in the window. Like I had nightmares about it, and I know my mom is going to listen to this podcast. So first of all, hi mom. Hi, dad i love you hey, so much hey, hey mom a couple of towels and a few thumbtacks yeah just <laughs> something and i i was like you know there it wasn't a common occurrence but there have been times that i would be in the bathroom and somebody would be on our property like trying to buy something out of our yard because that's yeah. what you do out in the country you see something you like you're like walk up to you the house an offer. yeah and when that scene happened i was like oh my god my childhood fears have been realized <laughs> did i see this movie when i was young <laughs> oh that's crazy so like so in the realm of cryptid movies yeah. okay in the realm of cryptid movies there there are uh, there are a handful or, uh, or more of sasquatch related movies besides harry and the hendersons which is a comedy family comedy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah family I comedy. loved that movie. The majority of cryptid movies involve some type of, of horror, terror mm -hmm. and what have you. This is the first one that had an, a documentary style telling the story of, of the origins or, or people telling of what occurred yeah. in, in, in their town. And it brings up a really good point to where a lot of cryptid movies <clears throat> stem on horror on terror mm -hmm. it's like you like in 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 most fantasy movies so so cryptids can be in fantasy movies but fantasy cannot be in cryptid movies it doesn't it doesn't work it discredits so like, yeah it, mm -hmm. it, it discredits what the cryptid is so like in fantasy you know you have uh the, the uh, uh let's just say you have elves 
right and you have those type of cryptids coming into into fantasy fantasy settings but then when, when you put in fantasy into cryptid movies it it, it becomes non-scary or non-horror yeah so this was the only one that that i uh, i truly do to i truly do think that if you were just a, you you take away all the horrible acting you take <laughs> horrible away, you, you horrible take, acting you take away all the all the 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 crummy cinematography you crummy you, you crummy take, you take no, away, i i agree with david the cinematography is is for its time something for, to see. for the yeah. Time, but yeah but yeah for its time if you, if you take away all that <laughs> take, take, take away all that and you just and you think about okay these are people telling their stories about mm-hmm. this monster that they feel they think and they saw in the woods in their backyard you go to a drive-in movie you're in your car it's dark the screen is on yeah. the movie's playing and you can't see shit like 20 feet beyond that and you start to to feel this is it is it there yeah is it out there like that that is what it's it's, it's trying to portray well, and, and that's I think- why I, I think it's a fantastic representation of like the beginnings of people t- of telling their story of yeah. of cryptids for sure and and i think you know th- like joe said even with blair witch which came 25 years later 27 right. years later um there were those people who said like no i don't buy into this this doesn't work at all for me this is all bs and you're not even really showing me that much that would really be scary right. so forget Sticks it. hanging from trees who gives a shit right <laughs> it's it's all about do you buy into it and i think what you've just described anthony is a perfect encapsulation of an environment that would have had people willing to go with this and willing to see these as these are quote unquote accurate representations of what these people have said has happened to them, which can be truly bone chilling. Before the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and other films like it even existed. (laughs) Right. Oh, right, right. I'm with you. Before we had really amped up the gore in a way. And so, I think so going back to where I came from like the friend of mine who saw this when he was very young I can totally understand why he found this so chilling this was probably one of the first times that he had been confronted with this sort of visual evidence of there are things out there that have scared people and that they can't explain and that they don't know when they're going to happen and they don't know where they're going to happen but that could potentially come across your path at any given time. And so that that that's I think where you know like again if there is a horror value here I think that's where it is. Um, so yeah. I have a oh yeah, go ahead go ahead go ahead no I just have a quick question because um, so we've mentioned uh, Blair Witch Project several times now so that came out in 1999 mm-hmm. but um, Eduardo Sanchez who I believe was the director for well, Blair Witch Project yeah, co-director. Yeah. Yep. So he actually did a Bigfoot movie, and I don't know if you guys have seen it oh, or not. I haven't. What's it called? But it's called Exists, and it oh. came out in 2014. No. So Anthony and I actually got to submit a a brief uh, movie review for uh, another podcast called Gore and More, and they covered uh, Exists, oh. and it was a it's another found footage film, but it is created and directed by Eduardo Sanchez, How is and it? it's um. You know, it's really not that bad. I feel I can't remember what my review was at the time, but now that it's kind of set with me, I do like it a little bit more. It's I'm not a I'm not a big fan of found footage. 
Um, the same way that I don't really like playing video games in first person, I get a little bit of like vertigo when it's really, really shaky cams. Oh, yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There, there is definitely some uh, shaky cam to it. There's definitely some moments where I'm like, that was stupid. That was a bad choice. Did you actually reload that gun? But I think it was, um, if Anthony didn't remember, he remembers now which movie it was. So it was, um, excuse me, it was definitely a, it was an interesting film. It brought in some things about Bigfoot that you don't initially think of. Like there's a situation with a Bigfoot child or Sasquatch child and um, kind of like a vengeful a vengeful aspect to Bigfoot. But if you haven't checked it out, I wanted to recommend it to you while we're on the topic of both Sasquatch and Blair Witch. Uh, it's got that common link there. Awesome. So you should check it out. Yeah, yeah and all it, of it the worlds together. Yes. Yeah, and, and and it plays it plays into the majority of, of cryptozoologists out there who believe that Sasquatch is an intelligent creature. Uh-huh. Like you have <clears throat> you have your your notable cryptozoologists like uh Lauren Coleman and Dr. Grover Krantz who are probably one of the two two uh like notable leading um Bigfoot um cryptozoologists out there uh and it, it goes it, it goes into the intelligence aspect of what Sasquatch would do could do in those situations so like when you when you watch the movie like it exists like we're like like, like we're talking about it, it plays into the intelligence when you're talking about um, uh, Legend of Boggy Creek, it, it goes into the this is my territory, mm-hmm. and you're 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 because it at, at one point it's in the more movie, primordial. Yeah, and at one point in the movie, uh, the, the narrator was was saying like due to uh, like due to uh, humanization, due to like people moving in and things like that, the, the, the creature is now coming, coming closer and coming closer to humans, which, which plays into that, that fear factor, you know? Yeah, we, and we covered th- that. It's the same thing from um, creature from the black lagoon. I mean, that was really yeah. territory right. more than anything else. Well, and, and you really, you kind of see a common thread between both the films. When we start talking about like those undertones of the films, um, one of the other like common theories that I saw for the creature of the black lagoon was talking about you know uh over exasperating your resources like going to the amazon and taking too much like are you taking too much from the world like are you taking too much from your environment and how is that going to be repaid to you so i saw i saw that theory pretty often and i think that comes up quite a bit with uh the legend of baki creek like where we're kind of we're over over farming we're taking over territory that isn't ours right and it's it's what are those natural repercussions for those actions yeah and and found footage movies are really hit or miss (laughs) they're really hit or miss (laughs) so you know david watch me segue now oh segue away sir (laughs) did drecker take too much fruit and put it into this hydra (laughs) chunk Oh, I, I don't nice, know. Nice, sir. Nicely done. <laughs> Tell me about that texture, sir. What's that mouthfeel? <laughs> it, it is a chewy mouthfeel. I will I will tell you um, there's a lot in there. And I was the thing I was questioning as I was drinking. It was delicious. I, I, I really enjoyed drinking it. But it's funny when you get those long lists, right? I, I said this as I was introducing the beer, raspberry, mango, dragon fruit, toasted coconut, cream of coconut. You know, I definitely got the raspberry, definitely got the dragon fruit. I got mango. 
a little mango, but the coconut was a little buried for me. Agreed. In, in, in a way. Was it someone shouting coconut from a different room while watching TV? <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe that's Maybe it. That's it. <laughs> You're giving us the best descriptor we have now. Yeah, no, it was more somebody <laughs> shouting it from the other room. Yeah. Um, that it's you know. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to dock it points for that, but it is funny when you get those kind of crazy laundry lists of ingredients. Yeah. Well, and they put, what, they... what are the ones that actually kind of shine through? To me, it's the fruits here. Yeah, they put coconut in there. It just didn't come through. Yeah, it's just it's, it's a milder flavor. Overall. We've done Drecker six times now. Yeah. And the reason is because they do a good job. Yeah. And they're fr- we've had bad fruit smoothie beers on this mm-hmm. show. Drecker has never, I don't think, underperformed, and I was so happy when you pulled this thing out. And a Hydra Ooh, nice. is a Hydra uh, a cryptid. Please, let's say we've come. So Hydra, Hydra is that? I mean, that's a Greek monster. Greek, Greek yeah. monster. So that really comes down to what we talked about in the beginning. Do people actually believe it exists? Uh, now, I don't know very many Greek people. There may be a Greek Hydra cryptid. People may actually believe it's out there. Um, one of the most underrated jokes of all time was in the Hercules Disney movie where they're like, somebody call IXII when they're saying call 911. <laughs> I, I lost it over again. That was in the Hydra bit that happened. But um, if if somebody truly believed that there was a Hydra that existed in the Greek Isles or whatever we might refer to them to properly. In the Mediterranean? In the Mediterranean. Um, yeah, two two and a half beers is kind of hitting now. Um, I'm such a lightweight. But yeah, if somebody actually believed in it, it could be a cryptid. If nobody believes in it, then it's mythology. And that's lore and mythology are a little bit different, I think. Kaylee. <laughs> yes, yes. I have had such a good time talking with you guys today. Absolutely. And I look I, forward to talking to you in the after. Sure. Yeah. I appreciate you guys coming on uh, and giving us a, I mean, a God, a a magnified view of a topic that David and I alone would have, okay, we would have been okay with, but y'all put so much flavor and, and texture into the conversation today. Well, and it, and Was it, it as just, much texture as your Hydra? Ooh. I think more. I think more. more. A little bit more. And, and, oh. and I, and yeah, I, I could taste the coconut with you guys the entire that's time. That's exactly oh. it. I, I think the nuanced flavors <laughs> is what I appreciate. No, no, y- y'all uh, really is that have... Is that because I'm brown? <laughs> I, I brought the know. coconut. That was the very white part that I brought. <laughs> you, y'all, y'all assign yourself the flavor profile that oh, works yeah. for you. Anthony, yes. you're, you're not safe. We're going to kill you in lieu of the white woman. The <laughs> well, the monster has to be in love with me, apparently. Oh, that's true, yeah. Uh, I don't know what you call Anthony in the off time, so... <laughs> Do you want to hear it on the And And folks, par- part of what makes this whole thing so much fun is that it doesn't end with the podcast Never. itself. Uh, you know, join us on our various social media platforms. We're on all uh, of them. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're on Facebook. Yeah. We're on Twitter. We're yeah. on Instagram. Um, and, and more recently, I, I say recently, and it's really been a while now, we're on Discord if you want to join us there. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. We love Discord. 50 States of Terror is the podcast, and I'm sure you guys are on all of the platforms that are available. And if you've enjoyed our talk with uh, Anthony and Kaylee today, go check out their show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you, you're going to hear lots more great stuff. Um, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Until next time, what kind of fishing is that? Who eats rocks? Yeah.
Thank you.